Today on the Dad the Best I Can podcast. When you're dealing with teenage boys, especially if you don't have the dialogue as a dad, it's very hard to sit in front of them and get an open dialogue, open, honest conversation. So he gives a certain tip, which is really cool. He goes, either put them in an environment of something they like doing or put them out of their environment where you're going through a hike or a long walk somewhere that they're not out of their zone, but never look at them face to face. Just walk side by side and have a conversation side by side. And people, they're more likely to open up and have a conversation when they're not stuck in front of you and they're moving. So just little tips like that is incredible how what you learn off other people, right? All right. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio. Today, we are lucky to be joined by Jeff Lopes. Jeff is a entrepreneur. He is a coach. He has an incredible podcast talking to other dads just like this called Jeff Knows Inc., and of course, the real reason he's on here, Jeff is a dad. How's it going today? I'm I'm doing amazing, Rob. I appreciate you having me on. This is uh, this is exciting. We were, we were, we we had a, quite a few conversations in the last month or so. So it's exciting to keep the conversation going. This is the coolest thing. The I have a lot of issues with social media and all the connectivity, but like the connections that you can make, the serendipity of even an Instagram comment still blows my mind. And I'm, whenever I get really frustrated by it, I'm on this thing too much. I think about like the value that comes from it. And there is, there's a, like everything, there's a cost benefit to all of these things. Yeah. 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 I find that very much. So that's something I've been, I, I've been working with myself with for the last while is just, you could get very lost in social media. It's something we talked about and it's and it's understanding how to block the time in there and make it very, very precise and have an actual agenda when you're using social media so you don't get lost because anybody could get lost just looking at videos and looking at pictures. I, I find there's nothing more important than dinner time with a family. And just being able to sit down and have a meal, and this is something intentionally me and my wife did when our kids were really, really young. We said, let's, let's build a habit of having a meal with them and having an open dialogue. So we sit down dinner time and it's just an open dialogue we just talk 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 how's your day what did you do at school and we started from a very young age so now my daughter's 14 in high school and she's sitting across from us and just openly she's so comfortable and so used to it openly talking about like oh my 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 friend did this or my she's telling us stuff that most teenage girls want to tell their parents and and it's because we've opened that dialogue from such a young age so i find sitting down is such a relaxed time to have a meal so i find dinner time is such an important time to just have a meal, talk, and just open that dialogue with your kids. Because as they get older, it gets very, it's very important, especially with mental health and other, other avenues, social media, that you have that open dialogue so you know what's going on in their life. Because it, it, it's very easy for a kid, especially when you become teen, to shut you out, right? Yeah, I think that that's something I've been learning on the podcast. As you know, the podcast is great because you're learning from all these other dads. Is Somebody told me to be where your kids are and talk to them. So if they're on TikTok or if they're playing Fortnite, which my boys are, and it drives me crazy, they told me, you know what? Get interested in that stuff because if if you tuning them out about that, then they're going to be less likely to tell you about real problems when they get to high school and beyond. So I've been kind of, you know, I really have adapted that where I'm going to listen to your rambling story about Minecraft and, and look you in the eyes because later on, hopefully the kids are going to be more comfortable to, to talk to dad about stuff that that's important. Yeah. And it's, I always say this, putting them in their element. So I, I had a dad on my podcast, um, James Lachlan from New Zealand, great entrepreneur. And he actually, um, he works with a lot of uh, youth that are suicidal and stuff like that. He works with a lot of youth. He, he does a couple of youth programs. And one of the programs he was telling us about was um, 
is when you're dealing with teenage boys, especially if you don't have the dialogue as a dad, it's very hard to sit in front of them and get an open dialogue, open, honest conversation. So he gives a certain tip, which is really cool. He goes, either put them in an environment of something they like doing or put them out of their environment where you're going through a hike or a long walk somewhere that they're not out of their zone, but never look at them face to face, just walk side by side and have a conversation side by side. And people, they're more likely to open up and have a conversation when they're not stuck in front of you and they're moving. So just little tips like that is incredible how, what you learn off other people, right? It's, that is so big. Uh, another big place for that is the car. I'm looking ahead, driving yeah. their way in the back. I can ask them an uncomfortable question because yeah, that eye contact for yeah. all of us, especially a kid yeah. is going to make them uncomfortable and clam up. So I like that and we'll even do it. I mean, I hate multitasking, but when they are playing a video game while they're focused, I can, I can throw some questions in there and they'll <laughs> happily answer them that they yeah. probably wouldn't sitting across from me at the dinner table. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell us, oh, I do have one more question. You're yeah. up at four 30. This is mind blowing to me. Are, are you a robot? Do you sleep? Do you go to bed at a reasonable hour? Cause I know how important that is the conflict for me. Sleep is so important. They say to your health and your, your mental health, but, then everybody says, well, get up at 4.30. Are you going yeah. to bed? Yeah. So I, I intentionally try to go to bed early. Um, I, sleep is something, uh, being transparent is something I've struggled with for years. And it's, and it's, I don't know, it's hereditary. My dad struggled with sleep. My dad, my dad worked two weeks day, two weeks night. So his balance of creating a sleep pattern was always messed up. And, um, and I, I remember growing up and seeing my dad on sleeping pills on a regular basis. And that's something I've ever done. Um, but uh, sleep, building sleep patterns, it, it is hard because sometimes your mind's running. So I try to unwind at night. I'll drink my teas. I'll try to shut off my electronics. I'll, I'll unwind with a book, maybe do my journaling at night instead of in the morning. So I'll figure out during things that calm myself down, but I do struggle with sleep, but I try to be at a rest place where it's like, okay, 930 on is my time just to relax. So you be honest by 930, I'm usually in bed. I'm either oh, watching that's... TV, reading a book. So I, I try to do that. And usually I'll fall asleep about 11-ish, 10, 30, 11. And then I'm up in my 4.30. So I still get my six hours roughly. Um, there are times when I'll be up at two in the morning, my head starts rumbling. And I'm like, two in the morning, I'm like, I gotta be up in two hours. I gotta be up in two hours. And there's been nights where I've come to work and I haven't slept. I'm just, That's just totally transparency. But it's just the way life is, right? Nothing's perfect, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm always battling the sleep mindset i've tried melatonin i try different things at night to calm me down but um i try to be intentionally by 9 30 shutting off shutting off my electronics and unwinding at that time when the kids go to bed yeah i mean if you do the math then you're in bed by 10 that's probably yeah, six and a half seven hours is as good as most parents are getting and yeah. i like what you said you always hear this get up early um kind of mindset but the way you frame it is everybody wants both they want to be productive they want to grow their business they also want to spend time with their family. It sounds like you're act, you're, the reason you're getting up early is so you can spend those hours with your family. <laughs> you're is, not doing is... both. You're not saying I'm getting up at 4.30 and I'm on my phone up and through dinner. You're saying no, no. it makes, and it, you're probably, yeah, I really like that idea because you're using one, plat, one foundation so you gain the other. 100%. That's exactly what I'm doing. Because there's no... <sighs> There's no reason. I don't think anybody likes waking up early. Anybody that strives and like, oh, I love being up. They're full of crap. No one likes waking up early. It's, it's, it's human nature. We like to relax. We like to have our on time, the one wine and stuff. So being intentional with your time and understanding the purpose of it 
it's a habit. You become very, it's a norm for me to be up at four 30. I'm still like wagging out of bed within five minutes. I'm, I'm ready to go make my black coffee, take my vitamins, let the dog go feed the dog. And okay, let's start. Let's start my routine kind of thing. So you get used to it. Right. And I've been doing it for 11 and a half years now. I like it. Tell us, uh, so your story, I want to, how old are your kids now? And I want to, I know you've shared it before, but share with the audience your story. I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. So my, my daughter's 14. My son is 12 now. So um, I got uh, two teenagers almost, you could call that, which is you never, I'm 44. You never, you never, you know, it is Rob, you never think you're getting to this age, right? You just look mm -hmm. at it. And that's, is this is pure off topic, but it's something I, I've been resonating playing with my head for the last while is as we get older, like today's my sister's birthday. She turns 50 today. You know, this is obviously pre-recorded, but it's, it's, you start looking at your parents, you start looking at yourself and you're like, you know what, like, a good chunk of my life is already behind me. And that puts a, a perspective. When you're young, you don't validate, you don't appreciate the importance of time. You're just living. And as we get older and I start looking at my kids, I'm like, my daughter will be driving soon. I'm like, okay, time, time's really creeping up. And I look at my parents getting older and I'm like, time's creeping, really creeping up with them. And, and you put a real valued stamp on like appreciating what time we have. And you appreciate, I would like, there's no question like, if my parents ask me to do something, it's done. I don't even question anymore. And there was times that 10 years ago or five years ago, even I'd be like, I'll, I'll see you guys on the weekend. I'll take care of it. Now my dad questions it. Um, boom, I'm down there because I do never want to live with that regret of all of a sudden something happened to him. I'm like, I didn't go see him that day when I could have. So I, I, re I eliminate any chance of regret with the way I live now. Um, that being said, uh, sorry, your question was? Oh, well, that I mean, it is such a great topic and you know this this podcast is on jesse itzler's radio platform and that yeah. is the biggest thing he stresses that your enemy is the clock people completely have a uh poor relationship with time not to mention that you are 44 years old your parents are 60s or 70s yeah. those years towards the end are not really as prime and as fruitful necessarily so it really is like a good reminder that we take for granted that you're in this five ten year window where you know you better you know, you better be all in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy too. Somebody had said this to me years back, Rob, and it, and it just, it, it just resonated lately with me probably about three, four months back where he said, do you know that every time your, your, your dad asks you to do something nowadays, like, do you realize that he's not asking you to do it because he needs it? He's asking you because he wants to spend time with you. And I was like, yeah, I realize that, but it hit home. Uh, it was about two months ago. My dad called me because we have warehouses here. We got tapes and guns and all that stuff. He calls me. Jeff, he goes, I really need a tape gun and a couple of rolls of tape. We're packing, doing some boxes in the garage. I'm like, cool, dad. He goes, when can you come by and bring that to me today? I'm like, uh, I'm really busy, but you know what? I'll, I'll come by in a couple hours. Give me a couple hours to finish something in the office. I'll come by. And then I hear my mom in the background. She's like, Joe, she goes, you have like three rolls of tape there. And he, and he was quiet. And then it clicked on my head. It was, he wants to see me. It was exactly that. And I go, and I, I just played off because I don't want to put him on the spot. I'm like, oh, I'll be there in a bit. I got to go, dad. Bye. But I knew it. And when I got there, my mom looked at me. She goes, you realize why he asked for the tape? And I go, I know. So it's, just, it's, so, it's, so, it's so crazy to see how the dynamic changes where my dad was just Mr. Tough European, strong, never cried, army guy. And all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's just little loving grandpa, wants to be with the kids all the time always every time he sees me he's hugging and kissing me my dad never hugged and kissed me as a kid and as an adult he's hugging and kissing me so it's like how it all changes and how he realizes his perspective of time and how important it is so it just it's 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 yeah it's time is something we can't get back and it's so precious right it's so interesting i had three days ago uh 
I called my parents for the weekly check-in and it's usually my dad and mom on the phone. So it's this kind of what's going on. How are the almost like formulaic, but this time my mom was actually asleep for some reason. She's usually the night owl. And I said, all right, dad, let's just, you know, talk. And we're talking about when he was young, like how old was he when I was this age, all these things that we never really have that conversation. And where I would normally be like kind of quick to get off the phone. I was like, you know what, let's just sit with this. And it was, I learned so many things about my dad and we had a connection that we never would have had. And I also think what you said, how your dad was growing up, they're probably a different person. And there can be this, like when you become a dad and they become a grandfather, this like almost discomfort as to all of a sudden they're want to be showing a little more emotion and, and, uh, and there's like a little bit of tension there. And I think like we've kind of started to cut through it. And my dad would be like, oh, I didn't know you were so sensitive. And he would say things. And it's like, I think like, like you said, allowing them to have it, not putting them on the spot and being like, oh, yeah. dad, you've become such yeah. a softy now. I think yeah. that's a really like cool yeah. thing and an important thing that, you know, you don't really learn until you get to these stages in life. Yeah, you appreciate things a lot more too, right? And now, now that you have children, you appreciate a lot more you have a better understanding of what it takes to be a parent. You appreciate what your parents went through and, it, and you appreciate lessons that your parents indirectly taught you. Like I've said this, I don't know who I was speaking to about this recently, where I look at my dad now and it's like, my dad was never an entrepreneur. He's a blue collar factory worker, worked at Ford motors, 30 years, two weeks, day, two weeks, night. Back then working at Ford, you're making 30 something bucks an hour. You'd work overtime, you're making time and a half. You'd work weekends, you're making triple time. My dad never worked weekends and all our, like we had all my uncles, everybody worked at Ford. It was like one guy got in, they all got in. It was a great career, right? Great benefits. And my dad never worked a weekend and he was there every chance he could to be there. And now, and as I got older, I started to realize like, like my dad, even though he was an, was an entrepreneur, he valued and he realized wealth was measured by time. So he made enough money to be able to live a lifestyle to travel with us and do stuff and be there as much as he could. And he could have worked every weekend and, and had bigger houses and did a lot more. He refused. He never worked a weekend. And it took me to be an adult to realize that he realized the importance of family. And he realized that everything he did, the wealth was just to allow him to have the freedom. So it was, it was pretty cool seeing and realizing as you get older, those things, right? Yeah. And I'm, the thing is too, you can articulate the, these kind of things that maybe they were just doing naturally. So that is neat. To, that's hundred percent. Yeah. Um, along those lines, I mean, that's a, that is a great tip. Is there one thing that you specifically learned from your dad that you can, you now apply as a parent? Work ethic, work ethic. I, I be my dad as a kid. I remember him saying this all the time to me. It's like, whether you're in school, whether you're playing sports, he goes, he'd always say the same. He goes, you always look at me and say, Jeff, just make sure you're the hardest worker. Make sure he would say this consistently. And like that became part of my fabric. And every time I started, like I've had nine companies with seven and with exit strategies. And every time I start something or anytime I've done anything, it's always, I'm going to be the hardest worker here. I will be the guy getting up before everybody. I'll be the guy shutting on my, shutting my laptop after everybody. Cause I want to put every effort in there. And even when we'll get into the story of my son, it was the exact same thing. Like when, when, when we were diagnosed with my son having CP cerebral palsy and next day when we took him home, finally we were able to take him home. It was a situation where I did not want to live with regrets. I was going to make sure I put every single inch of effort, resource, money, 
therapy into them to give them the best opportunity. So I wanted to make sure I was the hardest worker for them. I was going to do everything I could. And that's just something where, whether I'm doing a podcast, whether I'm doing a business where I try to, every time I'm doing something, I want to, I might not be the smartest in a room. I don't want to be the smartest in a room. I might not be the most educated in the room. I might not be the most talented, but I definitely want to be known as the hardest worker. And that, that's something you can't take away that trade. And I think that's something he taught me. It was, it was, he never shied away from working and, and, and whether it was doing or building or whatever it was, that was one thing I remember him always saying to me is like, He'd always just whisper, like, I go play a sport. He like, and during practice, I'd be, I, I played competitive baseball for quite a few years. And he would look at me, he's like, he goes, you're going to practice. He goes, make sure you're, you're the hardest worker there. Make show the coach you're the hardest worker. He'd always say that to me, show the coach. And, and it's funny, it's funny because years later I became a baseball coach and I would always look for the kids during trials that were pushing themselves the hardest that I, I could take, they were, had a good work ethic and I, it wasn't the most talented. It was the hardest workers, the ones I put on the team because I knew I could, I could teach them and they would listen. So that's something I think is valuable for a lot of even young kids listening. If anybody listens, they're younger parents, hard work, man. You can't, it's something you, that you can't take away. Yeah. You reminded me along those baseball lines. I, here's another tip I've adopted. That's kind of re- related to this. When we do the baseball tryouts, my kids are younger, uh, my eight, six and three, my six-year-olds playing mm-hmm. besides looking for the kids that are talented and are trying. I'm also looking for the dads that are out there because I want to, you know, when you're coaching, it's a group effort. So I want to see the dad that's actually on the field, not on his phone on the bench, because I know that if I draft that kid, he might not be the best kid, but I'm also drafting that dad who looks like a good guy and he's into it. So I, we've that's, assembled that's, quite a team. That's, little dad that's how, that's how I got sucked into coaching. Oh yeah. <laughs> Three and a half years ago. Uh, it's got sucked in and then the head coach ended up leaving and then I ended up taking over and um and i ran the team for three years and then it was just past year um i ended up pulling away from it because i found that i'm so competitive that it was it was it was building an awkward uncomfortable moments after every game with my son so my gut my son would feel that pressure where if he didn't go out and, and and perform or do amazing and it would come home it would that 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 moment of just that that car ride home stuff and, and it was something where i've had such an amazing relationship with my son we've built these bonds i go I didn't want him feeling that way. So I actually pulled out as a coach because it was just, um, it was a realization where obviously my father was more important than a baseball game. Right. And uh, so we, it was, so I still train him, but I do it one-on-one. I don't put it into a team effort. So we still train baseball one-on-one and I still, he's my workout partner. We work out together five days a week, lifting weights and running and stuff like that. So, but uh, yeah, that's interesting. You said that. Yeah, they, they try to rope you in. I see what they're I have actually <laughs> relegated myself to dad, helper. I'll assistant coach this season, but I know how intense it can be. So you even see the coaches out there. You, until you're doing it, you really don't have the appreciation for the uh, time, energy, and bandwidth that these guys are putting in. I, I was putting in, it was, it was a, it's a high performance team. Like it was a, it was a rep team. Um, I was putting in as a head coach 15 hours a week. It was 15 hours a week. And then this summer, Rob, what we do is we have one home game, one away game, two practices. And then if we had a tournament, which we have six tournaments a summer, which is your whole summer, tournaments are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, seven games. So you're going two games, two practices, and then three days. So you're essentially going seven days right right through every single day baseball. So I'd be finishing the office, picking my son from school or from the house, and boom, baseball all night. And it's just, it's a big commitment. Yeah. Big, big, big commitment, right? You better love it. So tell us a story because I know there are a lot of parents out there that are listening that have gone through something like you did with your son. Talk about uh, talk about you and your son. So I'll give you a little uh, Coles and Oda 
uh, essentially what happens. I was always a decently successful as an entrepreneur. I was working a lot of hours. I was married for about a year, almost two years. My daughter was actually, I was married for three years. My daughter was a year and a half old and my wife was 31 weeks pregnant at the time. This is going on 12 years ago. And it was a Friday afternoon. My wife ended up having to be rushed to the hospital and we almost lost my wife and my son the same night. Um, And life just kind of turned upside down that day. And um, we were put in the room and we were told that um, when my wife was knocked out that night and um, at the hospital, they had uh, uh, put her under and um, my son was just born. They put me in a room. They said, you have roughly about 15 minutes left with him. And um, I didn't even have a name or anything yet. And the first name that came, and I'm not a religious person, Robin. The first name that came to my head was Tiago, which I know that means in Portuguese, that means God's warrior. So I just wrote that on the birth certificate, not knowing what would happen. And that's essentially when his journey started. And it was just, it was just moments like that, moment after moment like that. He got in an ambulance. Uh, Sick Kids Hospital, which we were lucky is one of the greatest hospitals in, in the world, probably the second best hospital besides the one in Texas. And we, the hospital was full, had no, had no bed space. So they had to drive him to another hospital, almost an hour and a half away. And they said, there's most likely he's not going to make the car ride. Halfway there, another baby passed away, a sick kid's in the, in the bed open, and they did a UE and they brought him there. So it was just moment after moment after moment. He was born with um, seven, uh, seven of his organs had um, damage. Uh, part of his brain was poorly damaged. Uh, left ventricle was hard. His kidneys had no function. Um, so it was, it was just a battle every day. And I really induced myself into being part of everything there. So I was... I was so involved with the doctors. I was so involved in everything. And, and there's, we were put in a room four or five times saying, Hey, like, this is not working. Do you want to stop it? And I kept saying no. And we kept pushing through, pushing through. And um, like I said, we almost lost him four or five times. It was about the four month period where he was only four and a half pounds and the doctors didn't want to discharge him. They said he had to be five pounds to be discharged. And at four and a half pounds, he fit in palm of my hand. He still hadn't uh, learned how to swallow. So he was on feeding tube still. So they're like, we can't release him. He hasn't learned how to swallow. He's four and a half pounds. And I forced the doctors to release him. I said, listen, I go, we will take care of him. I go, put us in a separate room. Let my wife and myself stay here from Thursday to Saturday. By Saturday, if we could take care of him for those three days without calling you guys for assistance, you're going to let us go on discharges on Saturday. So that happened. We did it. Saturday came to discharge. The doctor came to give us their discharge papers. I already knew what the diagnosis was but I couldn't kind of accept it. So I didn't ever, till this day, I's never signed the actual discharge papers. And uh, he was diagnosed with CP, cerebral palsy. And we were told he would be confined to a wheelchair because a part of his brain was damaged. Um, and that's when essentially I got home the next morning, I looked at my wife and we were just, I mean, you know, we had another child. We were just like, okay, what do we do? We can't be blood people over because he's so fragile. He gets sick, he's done. Um, it was just a moment of, we got to teach him how to feed. Like we were just lost, but I do remember her saying, and I tell everybody, as I looked at my wife and I said, like, I do not want to be six years old looking at my son and being like, I didn't give him every opportunity to get out of this wheelchair. And even though he was still obviously not in a wheelchair, but in my mind, I didn't want that path that can start. So that was day one. And from the next morning on, it was every form of rolling um, therapies. We did everything possible. We took every moment as a win, Rob. So when he was like a year and a half old and he balanced and was able to balance and stand up for the first time, that was like that greatest day of our lives. It was like, I swore to, I never cried so much of our lives. And then my mom, and I think I told you the story, my mom found these little used cowboy boots at a used store and they're stiff and hard. And my mom's like, put these on T and, and uh, maybe they're heavy. He'll force them to kind of lift his legs up instead of dragging. Cause he would drag, try to drag his legs. And um, I, there's a rec center near a house called Cassie Campbell. And I would go there hours a day, Rob, on my hands and knees and walk back and forth with this kid with these cowboy boots. And people would just walk by me thinking I was absolutely insane. They had no idea what I was doing. 
And eventually I got him to be able to start moving with these and walking with these. And so I proved a proof, a proof of concept, went to the docs and said, listen, maybe there's something else we could use. And that's when they, we, we formed out and they formed AFOs, which are braces. So he put braces on his, on his legs and he started wearing braces adapt into him learning how to use them uh he was roughly about five years old and it was his first day of school with his braces and um i remember uh that morning um he didn't want to wear them he he was crying and crying and i don't want to wear them dad so my wife comes along and she goes t go find a pair of pants or find a pair of joggers don't have to wear shorts just let, get adapted to him. Let him be adapted. And I remember just clicked in my head and I got upset. I really got upset because I was like, we worked so hard to get you here. I go, be proud of who you are. And I grabbed him. I grabbed my little five-year-old and I like, listen, I, like, I almost shook him. I'm like, listen, this is, this is who you are. You're going to be proud of who you are. You're going to love who you are. And you have an issue of wearing these braces. You're going to do everything you possibly can to get all these braces. And I go, you're wearing these and you're wearing shorts. And I brought him to school and he cried and cried went to school the next day. I mean, said that night he came home, we're sitting down to having dinner. And this is my five-year-old looks at me, he goes, dad, I want to do everything I can to get out of these races. And essentially that was like the turning point. And this is a five-year-old saying this. And in that moment on, it was just like, let's go. And every day training, therapy, stretching, like we did everything possible. We were spending hours. I would roll his legs with a roller every night for an hour. Like I did everything I possibly can. And uh, fast forward 12 years, Prior to his 12th birthday, he's out of his braces. And now I told you, we're getting ready to run our first marathon together. He's doing he's doing 5K in under 40 minutes. Like I could barely keep up with this kid. He does sprints. He does wind sprints three times a week on the treadmill. Uh, 15 second uphill sprints, like max, like 10. If I go on the treadmill at 10, I'll fly off. So <laughs> this kid is, is, is uh, his mindset for a 12 year old is, is not normal. Like he puts his mind to something. I'll sit there and I'll do a wall sitting with him. We work out together. He outlasts me. He'll look at me and kind of like tease me like, hey, are you going to fail? Now are you going to give up? <laughs> like his mindset is just crazy. Like I built this little beast and and he is adapted and learned the importance of fitness for what he needs to do. And he loves it. Like I'll get home and which 12-year-old is running the treadmill by himself? Which 12-year-old is lifting weights? Like I put pictures like he's the kid does 65 male push-ups and he's 12. Like a completely... Like we, when we go to sick kids door, we just went last this past week to sick kids door annual exams. And he does, it's a long day of like ultrasounds, MRIs, everything to see how all his organs, how everything's functioning. And it's crazy to see like overall, like every time we go and all this, it's like, he's fearless. Like he doesn't, it's like nothing to him to most kids do blood work and all it's absolutely nothing to him. He's like, he's completely just like, it's it's part of his routine. He doesn't care anymore. He's like, he's built such a wall towards being scared of things. He's and, and it's something we've taught with our kids. And I think this is a great lesson is from day one um, with both our kids is, is I have that mindset where I try to break fear with them. And it's something that we do on a regular basis. We'll find something, whether my daughter public speaking, we'll, we'll all do it as a family. We'll, we'll find something and we'll do it as a family to kind of help them break their fear. So that was the one thing with my son, with everything he did, it was always anytime he had a moment where he, he was scared to do something, we would do it together to break that fear together kind of thing, right? So that's him in a nutshell. And he's the most loving, sweet little angel, Rob. I swear to God, this kid is like... I call him like my, my puppy. Like I come home and he's running to the front door to give me a hug and a kiss. Like kids don't usually do that. Like he is just every moment he could be around dad. He wants to be around dad. So we built this incredible bond together. And, um, and his story is very special. I think he's, he's going to change a lot of people's lives one day with his telling his story and how, what he's overcome. 
So there's a lot of things that we're trying to progress and get to. And uh, hopefully over the next few years, we'll be able to get to these goals with him. That's, I mean, it's so inspiring to hear. And obviously, besides the, the good genes that you passed on, hearing that from the beginning, that kind of mindset has to, you know, just stick in his head, even if he can't. And also you modeling the behavior. It's really incredible. I'm curious what advice I always see. I'll see parents at the park with a kid with a disability. And I'm always just like my, my heart breaks sometimes. And I can't, I can't even imagine what kind of advice would you give a dad, either a new dad that's uh that kid comes home from the hospital and he's going, he's got issues. It's gotta be very overwhelming. The emotions you're also now having to co-parent with somebody and, and figure these things out. What, what kind of advice would you give to a parent? Obviously you said you were very determined, but the mental health yeah. toll, the emotions, what kind of help would you give other dads? Well, you have to first understand that you're your only hope. If you're not going to do it for them, no one's going to do it for them. Doctors as great as they are, as amazing as therapy is, they're doing their very limit minimal to get their job done. So you're their only hope. So that's the first mindset is, do you want to live with regrets? And I try to live every single day without regrets. What I mean by that is, and I, and I, and I can't stress enough, any parent, if your child has an opportunity to improve even 1% or 2% or 3% or 50% or 100%, in the end of the day, they're not going to be able to do that without you challenging them and pushing them. In life, like the simplest way to look at it is everything great grows from being challenged. And that's the simplest thing, whether you're challenging yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, whether you're challenging your employees, whether you're challenging your work, whatever it is, if you want something to grow, you got to challenge it. And your child, if they are in a situation with a disability or have been given something that's just, at moments you feel like it's unfair, because believe me, Rob, you know how many times me and my wife would sit there when my son was a year old or two years old and look at each other and be like, sit there and, and, and just be having a coffee. And be like, and I remember my wife would just start crying. And I'm like, and I'm, this was, this was a regular thing. And I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, and I don't drink. She goes, we don't drink. We don't do drugs. We work out. We eat extremely healthy. And then you got crack moms having healthy babies. And, 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 and Tiago was born into this world with all these issues and she blamed herself. And she's like, what did I do wrong? And it was just, it was, it was, it was no one's fault. What happened to my wife was it happens to the call. They say it happens one in 3 million. So what happened is she caught a common cold that me and you probably get 30, 40 times in our life. And that cold passed to the baby and the baby became anemic and got sick and he was dying inside her. And that was why they had to do emergency section. And it's just, it's just a random thing, right? It's called, uh, it's called high drops. And, but you question it and, and, but you have to understand that you at that moment, you're questioning the past, questioning the past, no matter what you do in life means nothing. Cause it's past. There's a reason why it's past. Mm -hmm. So you got to just keep looking forward and every take every day as a win, every little thing as a win. Like my son would, we would pinch a toe and all of a sudden he would move or we would like, for example, his whole right side of his body uh, had zero function for almost God, maybe the ear, the first year in a bit, he would have very little function. He's naturally right-handed. So we had to teach him how to do everything with his left. So he pitches. He's a pitcher. He's a 12-year-old, 96-pound pitcher throwing 54 miles an hour now as a lefty. And we taught him how to do everything with his left. And everything, even now he's balanced. He does everything with his right and his left. But it was like the moment, the first time he was able to push his finger through plaster scene, it was a big win for us. Everything's a win. So you take all those wins and they just keep adding and adding and adding. 
in 12 years, like we at the beginning, we'd always like, we'd always look at me and my wife would look at ourselves and be like, I just want to hit that fast forward button. I want to be 10 years from now. I want to see where, you know what? Enjoy the process. Enjoy the time with your kid. Enjoy the process, but do not stop pushing them. Even when they push back and don't want to be pushed, you got your job is to push them as hard as you possibly can. Because all you're doing is building mental fortitude. All you're doing is giving them more opportunity to challenge themselves and push themselves through those barriers. So just push, 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 and and do not have that that mindset of like, oh my god, I'm pushing them too hard. You can't push them too hard. They'll they, you'll know in your mind when it's enough. But the next day you wake up, you start again, and this every day is a challenge. Every day you just keep pushing, 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 and and take everything as a win. Because over the long haul, you'll you will feel even if nothing does change, Rob. Knowing your head, you give him every opportunity to your child is, is, is a win right there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to look back and say, oh. oh, I could have done so much more. And that's the thing that I think is sometimes the block is it's hard. It's thankless. Sometimes they aren't going to listen to you. They are going to push back. And you're like, what am I doing this for? But it is just a, a muscle that you just have to build for, for you and for them. It's really yeah. good advice. Uh, we like to do one dad tip. You've given us. 30 already. Do you have a, a special dad tip you can share today, Jeff? Yeah. So I, I got two children and, and if you have more than one child, um, what I do is I separate time with them. So I do is I'm there. I'm home every night. I spend so much time with my kids. I'm at all their events. Like I've never missed an event with none of my kids. Like I remember even my daughter when she was four years old in ballet, I'd be the only dad sitting on a, on a wood stool waiting outside the ballet studio because they didn't want parents in the room for like two hours every night. So I've done all that. But what I do is I take six times a year, six intentional days a year, every eight weeks, and I split them. So I'll do one with my daughter, one with my son, and I'll pull them out of school. And that day is mine and there. So I'll take my daughter, we'll go do our nails, we'll go have lunch, we'll go hang out. Building memories is all about building memories. And I do that six times a year. And my mindset is all these memories you build, one day when we're not here, she's going to be telling her kids about them. She's going to be telling her grandkids about them. It's those memories that you cannot, and we take lots of pictures that day. Lots of pictures, and I develop all those pictures. So, and we build little photo albums of our days together. So it's like, it's like, and my kids look forward to like, my kids are like already like, okay, it's, it's in three weeks. Like they're, they look forward to those days. Cause it's like, it's just hang out. Don't, don't, I may sound bad. I mean, saying this, but don't, you don't go to school and it's just all day, do whatever we have to do. Just hang out. Whatever they want to do is their day. We just do it together. Want to go to the bookstore. Want to go, my son, want to go to the bank. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. We're doing it all day. We're just hanging out. We leave in the morning and we get home late at night and that's our day. So have intentional time with them separate and build memories. And it's not about buying gifts. It's about building memories. I love that. I'm gonna, and I hear that all the time. And I, with three kids, I'm doing it, but I like the, the spin on it where you're I might even, I can remember being like pulled out of school as a kid that like every other kid is jealous or they're wondering, where is he going? And that like that memory, you want to talk about creating memories. Yeah. If your dad comes at uh, 9 a.m. and they say, you know, come out, your dad's at the, your, what are we doing? And then you take them to the batting cages. And yeah. I mean, that has got to be the greatest day of, of both your lives. So I'm going to borrow yeah. that one for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Jeff. You've given us so much. I know you're uh, sharing all your wisdom with the dads on and your podcast on Clubhouse. Ter- tell people where is the best place to find you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm primarily on Instagram. You can find me at Jeff Lopes, J-F-F-L-O-P-S. Um, 
DM me. I answer all my DMs. I got a podcast. Uh, it's more it's more entrepreneurial podcast than actual dad podcast, but it's just an open conversation. I, I just love having conversation with interesting people like yourself, Robins, and just learning and listening and and observing as much as I possibly can. And I have a uh, man's purpose program. So you got tons of dads listeners. I love you guys to join. I, I, I created a platform that's affordable for entrepreneurial dads. And I coach them once a week. Um, my main thing is business, but we talk a lot about fatherhood, business. And once a week we meet, we coach, and it's literally 47 bucks a month. It's very affordable. And and I wanted to reach out to as many dads as I can and hold you guys accountable on a weekly on-track program as well we do. So I do that. It's called A Man's Purpose. And you can check that out at Jeffrey with R-E-Y-J-F-F-R-E-Y-L-O-P-S. And that's that's me in a nutshell. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate our network together. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things we're going to be doing together, Rob. So I appreciate um, you taking the time and having me on as a guest. I love it. And I love that like you kind of have this niche. It is so much more relatable for me to hear from other dads doing it than it is to, I mean, while I admire a Tim Ferriss and some of these people, there's a disconnect there. So if I can talk to other dads who are also doing amazing things, it really it resonates for me in such a more powerful way. So I'm super glad we connected and thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, brother.